Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. This sermon was from Ash Wednesday by our seminarian Dan Carlson as he preached from the lectionary, which was Isaiah 58, 1-12, and Matthew 6, 1-6, and 16-21. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. today's gospel reading, Jesus tells us to beware displaying our piety to others. Of course, in the ironically complicated way of religious tradition, we read this on the very day each year when we put big black crosses on our foreheads and then wander around the neighborhood. It's a little odd. It may help a bit to remember that the crosses that will be on our foreheads aren't actually intended as a display for others. They're meant as a reminder to us. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Today is a moment for us to stop and remember that we, you, me, the people you love the most, the kid who sat behind you in the fifth grade, we are all going to die. The last few years have been a noteworthy time for the power of death. An unending global pandemic, the increasingly visible violence of systemic racism, a growing demonization of the trans community, and now a horrifying war in Ukraine and the specter of nuclear weapons. There are moments in every life where the power of death arrives on our doorstep to remind us of its terrible reality. But lately, it seems like the knocking at the door won't stop. Christians have a complicated relationship with death. On the one hand, we are a faith tradition absolutely dedicated to the defeat of death. Our year pivots around the central moment of Easter the day of the resurrection, when Christ broke the power of death for all time. And yet, we're still going to die. That is a profound tension. And I'm not sure it's one Christians have ever really resolved. I'm not sure it's one we actually can resolve. And so, lacking any way of resolving that tension, we simply commit to keep wrestling with it year after year, with some ashes on our head. The Bible speaks of more than one kind of death. The death which Christ defeats is the cosmic one. We could call it capital D, death. This is a power of obliteration, a force which is constantly attempting to claim all of human existence for itself you could probably argue that the secular word for it is something like nihilism, the extinguishing of all meaning, purpose, and lasting significance. Anxiety over whether our lives actually hold any sort of lasting purpose or substance or meaning is so powerful that death, the capital D kind, imagine the Grim Reaper, ends up cleverly working both sides of the existential street. 
constantly offering us assurances that we can escape our fear and our insecurity if only we will put one of death's many convenient substitute gods at the forefront of our lives. We are promised that dedicating ourselves wholly to our nation or to the accumulation of wealth or to a particular political ideology or perhaps to one of the infinite constructions of human beauty, that these things will somehow bring true lasting meaning, the kind which can escape death. But of course, they don't. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Christian claim is that this kind of death, the cosmic kind, has been defeated by Christ. As the great late-night theologian Stephen Colbert recently put it on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, for Christians, death is not defeat. That is a bold claim, which requires a lot of unpacking, none of which I am prepared to do today. What does the resurrection actually mean? What does it look like? What does it do? Easter will usher in 50 days for exactly that critical conversation as we celebrate the axis upon which Christian faith turns. But today is not Easter. It's Ash Wednesday, and that's a very different kind of day. This is the day when we wrestle with the other kind of death, the lowercase kind of death, you might say. This kind of death is not the extinguishing of eternal life and enduring meaning, but rather about the cessation of biological functions and mortal existence. While the resurrection offers hope in the face of the cosmic power of death, this other kind of death is a reality which none of us escape, not even Jesus. The very next verse of Psalm 103, if you continue reading past today's portion, puts it like this. Our days are like the grass. We flourish like the flower of the field. When the wind goes over it, it is gone and its place shall know it no more. What do we do with this? For some forms of Christianity, there is a temptation to simply deny that death holds any meaningful power at all. If you spend much time perusing Christian videos on TikTok, a practice I do not recommend, you will find a certain kind of videos featuring smiling folks in fashionable clothes telling you that they honestly just can't wait to get to heaven. They seem to regard this world as an annoying waiting room, and they describe death as, at best, a trivial inconvenience. There is more than a whiff of desperation about these people. You can see a little too much of the whites of their eyes when they speak into the camera. Their words are full of swagger, but you suspect they acutely feel death breathing down their necks. I imagine that Christians of this persuasion understand themselves as living deeply into Jesus' teaching in today's gospel. They understand themselves as storing up treasures in heaven, and man, they cannot wait to get up there and play with those toys. 
The thing about this kind of TikTok Christian faith is that it is still fundamentally playing by the rules of cosmic power death and its promises of personal escape. In other words, it's still ultimately self-centered. Obsession with invisible things is still a weird kind of materialism. It's all about getting something more and letting the world know about it. It wants to be seen being spiritual. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Of course, the problem is that the hypocrites aren't just on the street corners. Sometimes they might be on TikTok, but sometimes they might be walking around with big black crosses on their foreheads. And sometimes they might even be a seminarian who was asked to preach on Ash Wednesday night who is wagging his finger at the TikTok folks just a little too enthusiastically. <laughs> the hypocrites Jesus warns us about are right here, lurking inside every one of us. The calls are coming from inside the house. Anyone who attempts to live a Christian life is susceptible to what Jesus warns against, worrying more about how we look than whatever greater good was the actual point of the religious thing we are doing. All of us, on some level, want to be seen being spiritual. We want people to know just how good we are or just how selfless we are. Jesus calls us to face this temptation directly when he tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus pushes us to ask what exactly constitutes our real treasure. What is our heart most set upon? The applause of others or lasting transformation? Personal immortality or love of neighbor? Avoidance of death or desire for God? When wrestling with the meaning of our mortal lives, it can be very helpful to spend time with the texts of the Hebrew Bible or Christian Old Testament. These books make up about 77% of the Bible, and all of them, with the possible exception of the book of Daniel, know nothing about a blessed afterlife. The cultures of ancient Israel believed that when you kicked the bucket, you did so with both feet. There was nothing left of you to go wandering on into immortality. The language they most often use speaks of sleeping with your ancestors or descending to Sheol, the ancient Israelite underworld, imagined as a dark place where the dead sleep eternally. The majority of our Bible holds no teaching on life after death. Ancient Israel felt death's presence very, very keenly. And yet the ancient Israelites did not find this an obstacle to feeling the even more powerful presence of God. They understood God as calling them to live this life in this world in a faithful way. They understood the blessings of God as applying to this life and to the lives of all who would come after them. Consider today's reading from Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is a work composed by a particular line of Israelite prophets over the course of centuries. And today's reading comes from a point pretty late in that tradition. More context. 
the people of Israel have been through a couple of really rough centuries. After being conquered by the empire of Babylon, a large portion of the population, the upper classes mostly, were deported from their homeland. After a generation or two, these exiles were permitted to return and rebuild. And for a time, there were great hopes of what this rebuilt Israel might be, a place of lasting justice and mercy, which could serve as a model for the other nations of the world. But where our reading picks up today, years have gone by, and absolutely none of that has come to pass. The wealthy are exploiting the poor, and the whole of society is simply mimicking the patterns of every other nation. The powerful are following some of Israel's various religious rituals in hopes that ritual alone will somehow make God happy. These rituals are what our text refers to as fasts, but their heart is with their treasure, and their treasure is personal profit. That is when the prophets of the Isaiah tradition show up and speak up. Listen to what they say. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. I think there is much we can learn from Isaiah as we ponder the meaning of our fragile lives on our journey through this Lenten season. These prophets glimpsed something critical. We cannot ultimately hold on to our lives, no matter how hard we try, because that is not what a human life is for. Our lives are made to be shared. They are made to be given away. Our Lenten tradition of giving things up and adopting new disciplines at this time of year is a sort of training ground for this larger lifelong project. Lenten disciplines are about identifying the substitute gods who have staked a claim on our lives and then challenging their false promises. We do not need them. We give things up for Lent so we can learn to grip our lives a little less tightly. Which brings us back to why Ash Wednesday is so important. If we can't get clear on the meaning of the finite and fragile gift of our mortal lives, we will be in no position to appreciate the true meaning of Easter. If we do not understand what our lives are for, if we do not keep ourselves mindful of the full weight of our approaching deaths, and if we do not challenge the substitute gods promising us deliverance from it, we will waste our short span of years on an endless longing for approval or a misunderstood and ultimately selfish vision of life after death. We've got to get some clarity on death, lowercase inescapable death before we can get any clarity on eternal life. That, according to Isaiah, is how your light rises amidst the darkness of your approaching death. When we do not cling to our lives selfishly, when we give of ourselves to others, we oddly find ourselves with more life, not less. But now everybody has more, not just us. 
Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thank you. 